We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And I'm excited to have you here, excited to have you listening on whichever feed um, you've joined me on, be it the Lions of Liberty Network feed or the Finding Freedom solo feed. And honestly, you know, before we get into into today's show and I introduce my guest and, and all that good stuff, and I do have a really awesome guest today. We're going to be talking about health and exercise and wellness and all from a libertarian perspective. Have a tremendous guest today. Really excited to to introduce him. Before I do that, though, um, I do want to obviously address the elephant in the room. Um, I really haven't spoken um, about it yet, I don't think, on, on my show. And that is, of course, what you heard if you are someone who listens to the Lines of Liberty Network feed, and if you, if you listen to Mark Clare's show on Monday, then you heard that Mark is leaving Lions of Liberty, that his 600th episode, which is next Monday's episode, will be his last on Lions of Liberty. And as Mark talked about you know, on his show, and I'll just reinforce this because it's 100 percent true that this was an amicable split. Um, This was not um, anybody really at each other's throat in any way whatsoever to try to, you know, force anyone out or to try to get someone to act a different way or or whatever. Um, None of that. None of that ever was discussed by Mark, Brian, and I with each other. Um, I know we've disagreed on on many things over the years, and there has been times when we've been at each other's throat, mostly on stupid things. But anytime you're in a uh, you know a business that long with good friends or podcasting that long with good friends, uh, there's, <laughs> there's bound to be times when you want to kill each other. But um, with with Mark leaving the show. Uh, this is something that, you know, he came to Brian and I and, uh, you know, honestly, it, you know, we, we were expecting it to a certain degree. Um, we weren't sure when, but I was not surprised a- at all when uh, when Mark brought this brought this idea to us. And he really brought it as as an idea. Um, and it was really a decision between the three of us on deciding how to move forward and, uh, you know, Brian and I decided we wanted to keep Lions of Liberty going. Um, you know, and Mark decided what's best for him is to is to start his own podcast and to go in that direction. And I totally, totally respect that. And honestly, I'm excited for all three of us. I'm excited for everything that, that's going to that's gonna come from this. Um, you know, I think... You know, as Mark Mark talked, I'm not going to speak for Mark. He talked about it Monday, but I think he felt a little handcuffed um, by um, having that liberty, that libertarian label um, attached to him. And you know, Brian and I, and uh, we're going to talk more about really what our vision is going forward with Lines of Liberty, and we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But we're excited to keep taking this forward and to keep growing. Uh, this podcast under the Lions of Liberty Network. And I'm going to encourage you to stick around and please continue listening to the show, subscribing, um, join the Patreon. And I'm also going to really encourage you to support Mark with his new show that uh, I saw he just announced on Twitter today. So uh, definitely check that out. And we're actually going to be Mark... And Brian and I are going to be looking for ways to uh, really work together to uh, to support each other in these uh, in these new directions. So 
we're we're all still friends, you know. There's no uh, hard feelings here. It's you know, sorry, sorry to disappoint you. After you know, we let Dan Smots kind of stir the pot and spice things up, uh, taking over Mark's show on Monday when Mark had COVID. Um, sorry to disappoint you that there's nothing spicy really happening. It's just really the end of a chapter, um, a very long chapter, and one that. Mark, Brian, and I put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into with, and time, mostly time, a lot, a lot of time in the Lions of Liberty. And it's sad, extremely sad that it's ending. Um, you know, I, I wish it wasn't, but at the same time, it's hard to even explain. I know this is the, the right direction to go in, and I'm, I'm excited for each of us in, in this new direction. So I'll say it once again. Please support Mark. Um, subscribe to his new podcast feed. Uh, do, do all that good stuff. Give him your support. And, of course, we want you to support us here at, at Lions of Liberty. We're getting into, into fall. We're getting into football season. We're getting into what I think is my favorite time of year. When the weather cools down here in the north northeast, you get that crisp, cool air. The leaves are falling. Football's being played. Oktoberfest beers are on tap. And it's Degenerate Gambler season, which is our bonus show, one of our bonus shows in the Lions of Liberty Pride. So if you haven't experienced that show yet, it's something that Brian and I and Rico um, really enjoy doing. Every single week, talking about football games, talking about picks, just getting away from the madness of politics and culture and the news and all that other stuff. And let's just talk some sports. It's it's a good time. And we do have, within the Pride, a Degenerate Gamblers League where we gamble with fake money, but you can win a real prize. If you beat Brian or I or Rico in in the season-long gambling, then... You win a free T-shirt, and you also, better than that, you win bragging rights, which honestly, that counts a lot more than a free T-shirt. It's a lot of fun, um, so looking forward to that this year. Join the pride, patreon.com slash lionsofliberty, um, lionsofliberty.locals.com. We're excited, Brian and I, to continue Lions of Liberty. Excited to see what Mark does. Let's get into today's show. All right, I am live here to the Lions of Liberty Pride, and I am joined by Greg Papanicholas. Greg is an experienced health coach, a, uh, a personal transformation coach. He's the founder of Project Sparta. So if you're involved in any sort of liberty circles, you, you've, you've, you've probably come across Greg and, uh, and his work. Uh, he specializes in online training programs that cater to men and women in their 30s and 40s who are looking to improve strength and their health through optimized nutrition, customized workout programs, and self-study practices for personal empowerment. Greg, welcome to Finding Freedom. Thanks, John. Glad to be here, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. And, you know, if you've been following my show at all, in the past, I'd say two, three months, I've really zeroed in on a health focus um, this from the standpoint of understanding what we're eating and consuming to also the importance of exercise and, and building physical strength. So really excited to have you on this show to dig more into that. Um, before we get to that stuff, though, if you could just give a, you know, a brief elevator introduction of yourself. When you meet someone on the street and they say, Greg, what do you do? What, what do you tell them? Yeah, normally, John, I tell them that, uh, you know, I, I work specifically with uh, men and women that are usually between the ages of 30 and 55 normally. And I'm looking at mo- mostly focusing on metabolic adaptation and how to really focus on those important elements of metabolism that are forgotten about because of, you know, you either eat too much or you eat too little and nobody really knows how much they need to eat. So I try to really hone in on, on metabolism itself as the mechanism to helping people, you know, achieve that weight loss. Cause again, a lot of people think it's, you know, fitness or they think it's nutrition singular. Yeah. But really when you think about it without singling those two things out, the mechanism is, you know, metabolism. That's what forces mm-hmm. the, the, the weight loss or the fat loss to occur. And what I generally like to tell people is that you can 
track your food, but do you really know where to start? And do you really know how much you actually need relative to where you're at in your life right now? It could get really confusing for a lot of people with all the information out there and the things they hear out and about or, or on the internet where there's tons of information on fat loss and weight loss. And a lot of the stuff gets lost in the shuffle. So I try to really, really take metabolism as the, the, the main element of all this and show them that it's, it's a lot easier than we think, but focusing on the things that you normally would focus on, uh, like, uh, you know, macro breakdown, should I have to, you know, how many carbs should I have? Uh, how many workouts should I do a week? Mm-hmm. It really all comes down to the individual and how they respond to the stimuli. So it's one person's recovery is going to be different than another. One person's schedule is going to be different than another. So it's really, when I say customize, I yeah. really mean the customize versus like, you know, what, what right. we see a lot of times in the industry is the cookie cutter. I, I want to get to get to your you know personal story here, how you became interested in this in a minute, but I, I do have a question on metabolism that I want to want to ask yeah. you first before we move on. So I heard I heard someone say this recently, and you can give me your opinion on it if, if you if you agree or not. But yeah. it's not that they said it's not that our metabolism slows down; it's that we stop being as active as we were when we were younger. So that's why the metabolism slows down. If, if you stay more active, then really your metabolism is you know, not as likely to slow down. What do you think of that? I, I think it's hard to really say it's one thing. I, I, and, and, and usually the answer is not as simple because I think there's so many factors. Mm-hmm. I think age does play a factor, but again, where we are in our activity does play a factor as well. So you have uh, people that have been training all their lives and maybe they're 60 years old still and still doing it, their metabolism is going to be better than the 40-year-old guy that hadn't trained in a long time. He hadn't gotten off the couch. He he hasn't been active. So that's going to play a factor. So age may have a factor, but it's probably not going to have as big of a um, – it's not going to have the impact that something like, you know, your your activity level would normally have. And Mm – you know, people can really tend to get lost in the shuffle with all this stuff. And it's, it's a lot easier to, to really kind of, really kind of analyze where somebody is in their, in their fitness journey, because if they're working 12 hours a day, they're not going to be able to be as active. So what do you do with the person with that hard schedule? Got to, you got to walk, start with walking simple right simple solutions to mm-hmm. that kind of stuff so well that's good we'll, we'll dig dig more into that later um yeah. but, but i want to come back to to your own personal story you know yeah. a big part of my show is i, I want to learn really what what drives people you know yeah. what really made you gravitate towards um health and fitness so what, what's your what's your story yeah well i actually when i first started coaching i was coaching uh football now i had always love the weight room. And normally when I was coaching football and even playing before that, I was addicted to the weight room. I was the mm-hmm. one always going. I was the one that everybody was saying, Hey, you know, Greg, when are you going to miss a day? And did I never, you, really did you play football in, in high school and college? I, uh, no, not in college, just in high okay. school. Yeah. yeah. And, and so that became, you know, it, it, most people were training in the off season, but I was one of those guys that was doing it twice over, you know, putting in two workouts a day, and it sort of became a bigger than just a hobby. Um, and, you know, eventually when I stopped coaching, I was generally just working in the school as like the, the when I was at this high school, I was working with all of the football players in the off season. And then I would inherit the other kids from other sports. They would come into the weight room. They would have their off season. So they would train and I would help them. Eventually, I started putting programs together for them, unbeknownst to a lot of the people, you know, around, you know, the school. And what ended up happening was, you know, word got around. Greg's putting me on this. Coach is putting me on this. And it's really helping me. So I started to notice that, you know, the results were coming pretty quickly for the the high schoolers. And they were getting faster, getting stronger. But when I uh, quit that job and went on to, 
to uh, do this full time, which I'll get to because that started off as just a, a hobby, sort of a side project too. And what I was noticing was, you know, I was working with these teenagers and then I started working kind of, I'd say pro bono for a lot of these uh, men and women in the gym I was working out in, you know, Gold's right. gym, I'm working out and I would help them. So I was seeing both dynamics of one end, somebody being really young, responding to anything you mm -hmm. threw at them versus yeah. the, you know, the 40 year old, the 50 year old where you really had to tweak and fine tune things. So, so what's an example of uh, some stark differences that, that you would see between well, the, the would, younger and the older? Yeah. And what I noticed was with younger, you could throw, you know, a basic hypertrophy program of muscle, you know, high volume, mm -hmm. lots of sets, lots of reps, and they would get strong. Didn't matter if you were pushing heavy weight, lightweight, they just got stronger, continued to get stronger. Didn't matter. Now, when I got to... Uh, Gold's gym and I was just helping people, giving them advice, you know, they would hit, you know, some good, pretty good numbers and it would come slower. You'd have to design it a different way. You couldn't give them a, you couldn't go too heavy, but you also wanted to give them something challenging and they, it depended on how they responded to it. So if somebody responded better with their results with, you know, a lot of compound sets, a lot of squats, a lot of bench, uh, a lot of the big exercises, they would have more success. And then on the flip side, you would have people in their 50s and 60s, and they would just need balance exercises. They would need, you know, just, just to get over, um, you know, their, their balance issues, or maybe they had a previous injury. Um, so it was really, there was really more customization with, you know, the older crowd than it was with the, with the teenagers, because really the at that age your body's responding to everything so quickly and you could throw anything in front of them and, and they would mm -hmm. get stronger but with that older population it was a lot more challenging at first and that was when i really learned how to build these programs out properly for them because everybody came from a different start everybody had different experience so um, I'm going to have more, more questions about, you know, how you yeah. tailor those programs. Cause that's, I, yeah. I have interest in that, but before we get to that, let's, I want to hear the story about how you started project Sparta. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, it was, it was, I was working at the school for, I'd say about, let's see, 20, I started 2010 and I, right around the time before, yeah, it was right around the time COVID had hit. So it, it was a good, you know, nine, nine, 10 years in the school system and I was working as a special ed teacher mm -hmm. and I was uh, working a lot with, uh, we call them trouble teens. I mean, a lot of people call them trouble teens today, but it was, you know, they just needed extra guidance and they needed yeah. things outside of the school that, you know, they could come to me for that would help them, you know, just in life. I mean, it was, it was life advice. It was anything I could help them with. So when I was coaching them after school, you know, I was getting that experience as a coach, but then I noticed, hey, you know, this might be something I want to pursue, right? Because I was doing it anyway, free for these people in the gym. I said, well, you know, if I'm building programs here, I'm building programs for the older crowd, why don't I just start it? You know, why not? Take a shot, see what happens. And, you know, if, if it falls flat, it falls flat. And I'm glad it didn't fall flat. I actually ended up in the first couple of... <laughs> clients I had, they were, you know, I just didn't charge them, got testimonials, gathered them. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was all, um, it was all social proof from there and getting, getting all of the, your, your, you know, building up your sort of social proof and your reputation. And from that point on, it's, it was almost like the day, the day I put in my papers, which was interesting, the day I put in my papers with the school, you know, I had a lot of anxiety. I said, Oh God, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> that rush of anxiety the minute you mm -hmm. put away your nine to five uh, uh, pursuit and go for your dream. And, yeah. and then this comfort brushed over because I said, well, a lot of people like what I'm doing. They're responding to it. They're interested, you know, and, and I, I was willing to go out there and risk uh, what I needed to risk to, to succeed in this, you know, in the fitness industry. And I was ready for it at that time. Now, if I had done it three years prior, probably not. But it was timing and, and all mm -hmm. of the things coming together, um, including going to different 
uh, fitness conventions and even doing some of the Liberty uh, speaking, you know, at the conferences that was putting my name out there, at least in my own community. And so when Mm -hmm. I touched on that community, you know, hit that, hit that button and got a lot of people interested in the community, Liberty community. I said, Oh, here we go. I got, you know, a nice little subset of people here that, you know, may need help. So go after them. Yeah, I, I think I think what you said there, that one piece, I think is great entrepreneurial advice where you were giving you well, your services pro bono. I mean, but you were getting something out of it because you were building your testimonials, you were getting, you know, before and after pictures, you were you were starting to build a network of people that were gonna, you know, start to spread your spread your name around. So I think a lot of a lot of potential entrepreneurs are sort of afraid to do that, give something away for free. But as long as you recognize that you're actually getting value in return for it because you're helping to build your own portfolio, right. then I mean, then, then, it's, then it's definitely worthwhile. So I think that's a really valuable point you made there. Yeah. So when did you, or maybe you didn't fully transition, is your business all online now coaching or is it a mix of, mix of both? And when did that transition happen? So it was all online when I put in my papers, even before that, it was all online. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes I'd walk into, you know, someone's hotel or hotel, their apartment gym, you know, help mm-hmm. them out for an hour. But it, these were, you know, special cases. I wasn't doing it at a gym. I wasn't, you know, um, doing what I was doing at Gold's Gym and actually getting paid by the, the gym. Uh, it was immediately noticing that that type of market was was kind of getting started, you know, Mm-hmm. Right around, I'd say, 2016, 2017 was when people were really starting to think about online and taking everything online. And, you know, in the fitness industry, a lot of people are just trading their their time and their, their you know, if, if a client cancels on them, then they're, you know, not, they're not getting paid that day. They're, they're, and that client could not show up for another couple of weeks, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, but I think the value of having everything up front uh, in addition to the nutrition side was really what gave it a little bit more value because a lot of the personal trainers wouldn't do that type of thing. They were there to just, uh, walk around with a clipboard and make sure you were, you know, not getting injured and things like that. And I wanted to be a little bit more hands-on, because uh, mm-hmm. I knew a lot of people had experience in the gym. They just needed to get back in there and get in shape again. Yeah. So I wasn't so worried about not going online because I, you know, was afraid that if i wasn't hands-on and actually there in front of them live in person that that was going to be a problem. Some people prefer it. Some people don't. And when people start to see the value of online and how much they can get out of, you know, all of this customization and very, very important analysis, especially like we're able to do so much remotely anyway um, with blood tests now, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it's incredible what we can do now versus what we couldn't do even 10 years ago mm-hmm. um, in the industry. So when I took it online, I said, I'm just going to go straight all the way with online and, uh, and it's paid off. It's, it's certainly, I don't regret not, you know, doing in-person training at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, you were ahead of the curve, like you said, just as that was building up and then COVID comes and hits with the lockdowns and your, yeah. your business is, is, is ready to rock. I mean, yeah. everybody was looking for, uh, you know, for guidance and how to work out at work out at home. So that was what that was, a, 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 I mean, an unintentional benefit. You know, yeah. you don't want to <laughs> see lockdowns happen, obviously. But I wish I could say. take credit for that, but I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> but so well, that kind of leads me into my next question. So when yeah. we talk about at home workouts or, you know, people either working out at, at their house or in an apartment gym, or maybe they're actually going to a, you know, a gold gym or an LA fitness or something like that. Um, tailoring individual workouts to the specific equipment they have access to. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what's your, your, your process or what, what goes into that? Yeah. Usually the, the real specifics of it have uh, come down to, a lot of the people, especially that were work travelers that, you know, got their, you know, they were actually being able to travel again at one point uh, with COVID. So they were starting to, you know, go to business meetings elsewhere and, and travel again. So what I would do mm-hmm. is I, you know, set up their, their workouts, but I would make sure I got tons of pictures of the hotel gym and making sure that every piece of equipment was in there and I could tailor it to that. Uh, and then when they were at home, 
you know, take a couple shots of what you have in your home, all the equipment. Great. I got it. I can set something mm-hmm. up immediately. It's the benefit of, you know, being able to look at what they have at their disposal and design something that, you know, can help them at that optimal level. And they don't feel out of place or they don't feel like they don't have enough or that they're going to be empty handed just because, you know, they don't have the right amount of equipment. I've seen more results, probably about half the clients that I've had had great results just at home during COVID. Mm -hmm. So they were maximizing the time that they had because I think, you know, a lot of times walking is underrated and we don't think about how important it is. But I mean, half of those, half of those clients were, you know, I'd have them on, you know, three times a day walking 10 minutes. Didn't even start them with, you know, weights yet, some of Mm -hmm. them. And they were able to, you know, drop 10 pounds in two weeks. And, and then we kind of accelerated the process by, you know, adding in some other things, hit workouts and, and body weight and just something new each time just to keep the progress going. And then of course, when they were going to the gym, if that, if that gym was open, if they were allowing people, uh, a lot of times I would, you know, tailor it to that, to that, that person's gym. If it was, you know, a strength specialty gym or a, um, CrossFit gym, or if it was any of those, there was, there was always a way to, uh, design it so that it served that particular client at that particular time, because as we know, it's schedule, it's, you know, how do I fit this in? How do I get this hour in? And there was always a way as long as, you know, those, those boxes were checked for them. Mm-hmm. So before I forget, I want to get this part of your story before we get too, too much down the, uh, the, uh, transformation path, yeah. but so we talked about you kind of built your your network through the libertarian niche. So how did you become a libertarian? Or are you one of those rare people who was just you? Your parents were libertarians. You were raised a libertarian. Or oh, you, yeah, no. or do you? Yeah, or do you no. I think there's like three people like that. Yeah. But yeah, they're the, they got on the train early. I you know I was John. I was um, my parents uh, were generally pretty conservative. They were kind of Reaganites, I guess you would call them. I. I was kind of still on that teetering on the edge of going, well, you know, there were some things that I liked and some things I didn't like about certain politicians. And then, you mm-hmm. know, I started reading, as <laughs> you're going to find this funny, started reading about Barry Goldwater huh. and, you know, somebody my age wouldn't know or remember him because he weren't alive then. Mm-hmm. But the more I read about him, I was like, Oh, he's a little bit more, I don't know. He's more libertarian leaning conservative. He looks interesting. And then it became almost like there were these, people online that I would talk to and it, it was like some Barry Goldwater cult. <laughs> like, oh, geez. I mean, to, to, to be that insanely obsessed with someone of that nature that was mm-hmm. you know, kind of fucked the trends. I mean, he was, you know, a different, a different thinker back then than most uh, and probably in the minority then uh, I found it interesting. I followed it and then it kind of led me to Ron Paul and then, just kind of that progression of how far can I, <laughs> how far off the edge am I going to go here? You know? Uh, so you know, it, there, there was, it, I, I'd say it was a slow, slow transition. A lot of people say, you know, you're, you go from say a libertarian to an anarchist in six weeks or whatever the, you know, the saying is, but I, I was slow, you know, I, I was still trying to analyze in my head. Okay. Yeah. This makes sense you know, and, and eventually arrived at sort of the libertarian anarchist voluntarist uh, side of things. Yeah. I think it can almost be dangerous if you go from libertarian right to anarchist and you're just spouting off these things. You really haven't spent the time really, really reflecting on and, uh, and, and thinking about, so that can kind of work, work against people like that. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've done some, uh, like you said, some speeches on the, uh, on the Liberty circuit, you were at, you were at freedom fest. So what did you do or what what was your, um, your role at, uh, at freedom fest? So they, they they had actually brought me on board because they were, you know, starting to build that sort of fitness, I guess, wing or, or, or fitness idea there. They wanted to get more fitness oriented people. And, Mm -hmm. and that's a new thing. That's probably two years old. They started doing that last year. And they were starting to bring some yoga people last year. And then they said, well, 
might think of bringing on bringing on board somebody, you know, in the health and fitness, um, you know, industry. And and they found me. Uh, I'd had a contact there, and uh, she was just loving everything I had up there and on Facebook, and say, "Oh, great, you'd be perfect for this." And I talked to her a little bit, and um, I was actually supposed to do it the year before, and scheduling was was the issue; I couldn't do it. And then this year. Uh, when I did it in the first time in Vegas. So that was a, a story in and of itself. <laughs> you know, some guy that's not used to, you know, just, just I, I mean, I was the five o'clock riser and the 10, 10 p.m. In, in bed by 10 p.m. kind of guy. Yeah. So, it, you know, wasn't wasn't that type of environment for me. But um, the 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 speech that I got uh, I, that I that I did was on, um, you know, the how to protect your immune system in this kind of new age of all these surprise diseases. So it's, it was, um, it, it was good. It, it, I, what I noticed was there were, there were a lot of people that were ages 55 and I'd say 55 to 70, 75. I mean, I really? had some wow. elderly people in there and I think it was because of how concerned they were. You know, yeah. I, I didn't see a lot of people my age, and a room of room of a, probably about like 60, 70 people in the, um, in the, you know, the banquet hall there, uh, at the speech. And, and I was answering a lot of questions afterwards and it was, mm. it was, there were that, that Q and a was long because they had a lot of concerns about, you know, during that time and, and what to do and how to protect your body. And, and I think it was helpful in the sense that I was able to cover a lot, but there's so much more to it that I couldn't do in 40 minutes, yeah. you know, to dig deep. And, uh, even though 40 seems like a long, you know, long talk, it's still, that's still just, just touching on things briefly. Uh, you know, if you have to get into fasting or you want to get into gut health, it's like, like with you, it's gut health. Yeah. It's like you spend 40 minutes on gut health, <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah. So, you know, I think in the future, you know, maybe for the sake of, getting a little bit deeper into this um, and for the sake of serving more people, I like the idea of having more of kind of a clinic too. Um, and I was fortunate enough to lead morning workouts uh, for the, for the groups there too in the morning. So that was nice. Met a lot of good people. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was kind of like a more, I was a morning workout coach slash speaker and it was a wonderful experience and uh, definitely can't wait to go back to it. So I'm going to give you a tougher task than they gave you at Freedom Fest, I think, right now. So you only had four, 40 minutes for, for a speech on immunity and how to boost your, your own immunity. Could, could you give, uh, give my audience just may, maybe one or two things that, uh, you know, that, that they could do that you know, maybe they haven't considered uh, ways to, uh, to boost immunity? Yeah, what I, would, what I was really, really, really focused on during this uh, speech was vitamin D. <clears throat> it mm-hmm. was... It was interesting to me because what when I read a lot of the information on vitamin D, I saw how many people uh, from blood tests were very low, and they were low all year long. Uh, even when they lived in great climates, they hmm. uh, you know they they weren't getting proper vitamin D. So I spent a lot of time on that particular you know vitamin because that you know, micronutrient is so important for the endothelial cells that's the protector outside of the heart and the lungs and it's so vital for that part of the body those organs and a lot of people were just very they just had low amounts they had they were um they were deficient and i got a little bit more um i was talking a little bit more about the uh cold therapy the ice baths because I, oh, when I, yes. what I would do um, during COVID, when I started getting those symptoms, uh, I would jump in and take a cold shower. And the body temperature would be better regulated. I could feel the body temperature going This is going when back. you had COVID. You yeah, did. yeah. Okay. I was starting to feel those symptoms right around, I'd say, so you'd probably say it was last November. And... Uh, and so, so when I took those cold showers, I noticed there was... I felt a little bit better, you know, later on, I, the body would heat up, heat back up again. I jump right back in. 
And I think I delayed it a little bit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I completely stopped it from entering the body, but I knew that yeah. that was reducing the, the intensity, I think of what could have, you know, really been a tough bout because my family was having a tough bout with it. Uh, relatives of mine were having a tough bout with it. Now being healthy otherwise is great, right? Cause mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're battling against it with a better shield, but yeah. at the same time, if I knew that this was pretty intense, I wanted to cover my bases and make sure that, you know, mine didn't hit as hard. And I really think between those two things, the cold uh, and re- really just the the hot, cold contrast uh, therapy for me was a big help. Um, and then getting out, you know, during the warm weather when it when it started to get a little bit warm and I thought I had my second come around with it. <laughs> you know, I, said, I think that's I think it was really really helpful to know that I always had those two things in my back pocket and I really Mm -hmm. would start to, you know, think about other ways to, uh, yeah, I'd come up with a concoction for, that was, God, I had everything in it, (laughs) just garlic, ginger, uh, freshly squeezed oranges and, you know, anything I could grab a hold of in in a shot glass. Uh, and that was kind of my little bit of my defense potion. So, uh, you know, without spending, (laughs) 50 bucks at Whole Foods, just make your own. <laughs> yeah. I, I was actually pretty impressed when, uh, well, so my, this was in May of this year. My wife got COVID first. And when she got it, she, she was pretty sick. Um, just had like real bad migraine headache and like didn't want like any lights on. It was really agitated by, by any light. And we took her to get the monoclonal antibodies. And I was impressed that this place that gave out the monoclonal antibodies, they gave like a you know, like a, a flyer that said, you know, take vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, Qcertin, um, avoid sugary foods. And I was like, wow, that's, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm good. They're giving that stuff out. Like that's, that's awesome. Like, but, uh, then I got it a couple of weeks later and I went to get monoclonal antibodies and they were out. They didn't, yeah. didn't have any more, but I was fine. I, I didn't need them, I guess. <laughs> but I, I, I did want to ask you about the, so the hot and cold, um, yeah. the ice baths and the sauna or, you know, some other, other kind of heat. Is that a way to boost metabolism? Is that is that true? You can boost your meta- yeah. metabolism through that. They're they're finding that that has a, a, an effect on it now. How big of an effect we we don't know yet. We're, there's still a lot of research to be done on that. Um, what I've noticed is that it's one of the better recovery tools because because of that, I'm able to go back in and, and get more done and not be so sore and you know, bring down my inflammation. And, you know, at 42, I was having shoulder and, and elbow pain and issues all the time, uh, just from all the heavy, heavy strength training I was doing a couple years back. And just going in there and, and, and doing the hot, cold contrast shower, letting the blood come to the surface, then back down to the organs with the cold, you know, therapy. I would even do the cryo. My sister got me a, a few, uh, gift gift cards for cryotherapy mm-hmm. which was great um you know i i felt like what was interesting was i i wasn't feeling the bloating anymore i wasn't feeling the the, the soreness or the pain um and i i noticed that a lot of that was reduced during that period of time uh as far as metabolism i mean i'm sure that that there's going to be more studies on it because the more people start to to get into it and the more people are you know uh partaking in it i'm sure that they'll probably end up looking at, you know, that, that connection a little bit deeper. Um, but I, I think on the, on the flip side of it all, uh, you have to be prepared mentally to go into an ice bath because <laughs> oh, yeah. not for everybody, but, uh, and it's funny cause even in Vegas, when I was there for the, uh, for the conference, uh, you know, I, I wanted to take an ice bath, but again, there's not enough ice in that hotel to fill up a tub. <laughs> you're, you're stealing everybody's ice from ice. You'll be going back and forth from the machine about 50 times. <laughs> you know, yeah. And that, I was actually thinking about doing that, but I said, nah, I don't want to waste all the ice for everybody else, all the guests. So I just, I had a, I got hopped in there. I put the, I put it all the way cold and then I just ran the jets because <laughs> it was a whirlpool. <laughs> so yeah. it was just a cold jet, you know, uh, bath, which was uh, more intense than I would have thought. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would love to get one of those cold cold plunge tanks, but yeah. they're like six thousand, seven thousand bucks still. I'm waiting for that price point to come down a little bit. That's uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. 
they get expensive, but I know a few friends that have done the tub and they put the tub on the outside of the, their house. Uh, a couple of people I know that live in Texas, uh, it's a perfect place to put it, <laughs> you know, perfect, yeah. perfect climate too. So, <laughs> well, there's people who just use the, uh, like, a like one of those, just a cool or not a cooler, a, a freezer, just like a, like a mm. coffin freezer that has the door that folds up and fill it up with water. I don't know how sanitary that is, but I've seen people do that. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> yeah, you run a lot of risk there, but yeah. to each his own. <laughs> yeah, so I, I want to dig into, you know, back on really this transformation yeah. idea. Um, you know, when you have someone come to you, and I mean, you could give an example if you want to, or you could just kind of talk through your process, but you know, say, say someone comes to you and, you know, they're in their, you know, mid forties, they they haven't been working out. They've been eating poorly. Uh, is there, you, you mentioned, you know, starting with walking, things like that. Um, what, what's your process on on getting them, uh, getting them on the, on the right path and then going from there? Yeah. You know, usually John from, from the start, it's, it's really important that they, um, get a blood test. I think that's a big part of uh, the process at the beginning, especially figuring out where they're deficient. Uh, so what, what, sh- what should they get tested? Like what specifically macronutrients should they be testing for? They can, they can, they can do the basic test, which is not going to mm-hmm. go, it's not going to uh, go too deep into your, uh, the list of every single micronutrient, but it will hit on the big ones. Uh, I, and there's their particular tests that I, I, can't remember the name of because it's an acronym, mm-hmm. but it's one of the ones that uh, it's going to be able to, you know, pull up your your vitamin D, your vitamin C, your zinc, all of them. And when you, you know, after you get the blood test, we look at where what where your habits are. So if you're not getting uh, those micronutrients, why is that? What can we do to combat that? What are the types of foods you're staying away from that could help that? Because again, if somebody's going vegan, they're going to be lacking in another a lot of areas, you know, in their micronutrients, if they go carnivore, they'll be lacking fiber. It'll, it's, it's great to get some kind of, uh, balance within that, within their own habits. Because I think when people go down the, the, I want to say the fad road, but really the fad diets really become something that people get drawn to, uh, which I feel are kind of just de facto elimination diets that you finally found, Mm -hmm. find your way back. Uh, to balance. And when you do, you're able to process micronutrients and macronutrients differently. So somebody that had lost a ton of weight and their metabolism was, was reset and they, and they were losing a lot of, of uh, you know, they were making a lot of progress, losing a lot of weight. They would then digest and absorb carbs differently than they had prior. Mm-hmm. You know, get away with eating more carbs because before it was body just wasn't agreeing with them. So when I bring them back into balance that way, I like to look at sort of what their habits are. So if they already have really, really bad habits, well, I'm not going to put them on, you know, intermittent fasting, you know, but if there's somebody who is kind of already, they already kind of know their, their, the process of finding what, agrees with them at the, at the, at that time. So I look at what they are eating at the moment and don't try to rip the bandaid off, right? Because if mm-hmm. we rip the bandaid off, uh, we're going to have all kinds of different problems, uh, occurring. So what I try to do is look at, okay, what's the, what's the baseline of what they're doing now improve on it. Don't change it too quickly. You know, if they're already in the right macronutrient balance, but they just need to eat better then change, change the food. Um, if their stomach isn't, feeling good if they're bloating a lot well then you okay you got to look at the kind of stuff that you talk about a lot digestive health the types mm-hmm. of foods that are irritants and kind of eliminate them one by one and see what the irritant is it's almost like you know just a tweaking constant tweaking and experimenting with finding out what is what is causing it and then from there figuring out okay what's what's the optimal diet for them going forward that isn't an actual diet right it's we're going to, we're going to do this so that you never have to go back to one. We're going to create it. More like a lifestyle, finding their optimal lifestyle. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And I I think that's better in the long run. That way, when I, when we're done, when the, you know, all the, the, the goals have been met, I can say, 
you don't need anything else. You're good. And here's part of the, you know, and I, you know, educate them on how they could tweak things in the future just so they keep making mm-hmm. progress. But it's, it's really a lifelong plan for them rather than something that's going to just get quick weight off of them. And, and, you know, Hey, if they want to, I don't know, add muscle. Okay. Well, here's what we can do in the meantime. And here's what we can increase. And then you educate them on calories and uh, importance of protein and what fats role is and carbs role and all that. It's, it really, I like to look at it from an education standpoint because that's where I came from, you know, before Mm -hmm. I, switch to to fitness full time and i'm just i'm used to giving people something that they can take with them forever that isn't that 60 day miracle because i think that's the industry's flooded with too many 60 day miracles i think you need something that's permanent so that when you get to another stage in your life and then you have to you know, jump back on something else or or do something else to to j- jump start your metabolism again okay Mm-hmm. What did Greg say back when I was uh, stuck? Did he say go up in calories? And do I need to go incrementally or do I need to shoot up? And normally it's the slow incremental buildup in your calories or the reduction, the slow reduction that really helps that. Because um, I don't want them to make those mistakes that a lot of people make where they either shoot too far up too fast with their calories and they never really develop their maintenance maintenance calories or anything like that. Uh, and just so they learn that that output input relationship, mm-hmm. um, you know, the calories and energy has. So, so I'm curious to kind of kind of dig in a little bit more on when you when you're talking to someone structuring this plan, like how because I'll just speak from my own personal perspective, talking about like setting setting goals, mm-hmm. like something that, that's really helped me. And this is going to sound like like kind of crazy, but I think sometimes goals goals need to be a little crazy and very specific. Yeah. But something that I've like had in my mind um, that that's kept me going, wanting to work out, wanting to eat right is I when I've turned forty years old, I have a six pack, and right. so I mean that's like that's like that's like in like a visual thing in my mind that um, well one of the things that, uh, that you know that, that keeps me going. Do you do any sort of uh, you know? Did you, en- you encourage people to make very specific goals in one way or another, or is is that a tool that you that you rely on? Yeah, I, I do that at the start because again, a lot of people are going to have things they want to do at the start, whether they want to reach a certain goal weight or they want to reach uh, inches, you know, uh, or or just fitting into pants, being able to fit into the pants you used mm-hmm. to fit, things like that. But what I found was if I asked the deeper, more meaningful questions along the way, especially when I met with them over Zoom to kind of come up with a strategy for them, what I noticed was that the answers would get a little bit more revealing. You know, they would start to tell Mm -hmm. me why they wanted to lose weight. And then, you know, it was, oh, you know, the old wife wants wants me to look like the way I did back in whatever, you know, the year 2000 or something like that and Mm -hmm. things like that. They really get to the the real core of it. And then that's when you try to find what will motivate them deeper than just, you know, the physical part of it. Because again, like you said, that's important. A lot of people want that. Um, but there's a reason they want it. You know, right. some people because they're like, ah, I just, you know, want to attract the opposite sex. So they're trying to get their body back into shape to attract the opposite sex. Or uh, I don't know, a dad, you know, hanging out on the couch too much and his, you know, his son always jokes with his friends about how fat his dad is. And it's like that's that type of stuff gets to the heart of a lot of men too, because they don't generally voice it as often. So you really got to dig a little deeper with them to find out what they're really after. Whereas with a lot of the women I've worked with, you know, those are, those are pretty deep calls. They're, they're telling me a lot and they're, they're revealing a lot, but it's, it's getting to the core of why they want to do it. Um, and if all the other things physically happen, that's great. But what do we really want in the end? It's the internal satisfaction of going from this you know, old identity to a new identity and how it's helping us within, how we've changed within. Um, and when I hear all the people, all the testimonials and all the stories at the end, generally they're telling me those kinds of things. They're, they're not, you know, mentioning as much, they're 
their inches or their, you know, even though that's a factor, they're, they're really focusing on how they felt and how they responded to everything internally. Yeah, I mean that's and that that's a big part of really what you advertise, what you talk about with with Project Sparta, right? I mean it's 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 the whole. It's not just the the physical. I mean it's 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 the whole package. It's really a full transformation, right? Yeah, and that's the thing with it. When I struggled with my mental health uh, way back in, I think it was twenty. I say way back wasn't that long ago 20, 2012, You know the gym became sort of the, it became sort of the crutch and it wasn't, I was relying on it, but then once, you know, I stopped working out or I, I left that session and went back home, it didn't solve anything, right? It didn't solve the mental health mm-hmm. or the, the, the way I was feeling. It was, you know, it, it more or less became something I was relying on. And what I think needs to happen at least universally is we have to start treating it as instead of a crutch, we need to use it as a tool for life. What we learn from adversity in, in the gym, in the gym or any, just a fitness experience of failing because I fail more times than I can, you know, count, especially, you know, inside of the gym too, you know, we, you learn lessons from it and you learn what not to do the next time. And, you know, there's things with injury that occur. So how do you keep going and, and maintain your sanity and, and your, your drive when those things are starting to fall apart? <laughs> you know, those, mm-hmm. those injuries are starting to mount. You're getting older. How do you work around them? You know, and I've, I've had to do that with myself and clients, too, because there comes a time where the body's going to start to break down. You're not going to be able to do the things you did. How do you adjust to that mentally? Yeah. What is do up here to somebody who was used to going a hundred miles an hour, you know, was used to putting in the, the turning the volume up to 11 and really cranking the intensity. Uh, mm-hmm. What does that person do when they hit 55 and you know, all of a sudden they can't push like they could. Yeah. It's really, really a lot of it is finding, you know, finding the good in the adversity, find, you know, finding the, the, the silver lining in, in that injury. Because, yeah. um, I mean, there's always, there's always things to learn and, and, and ways to grow. So, Yeah, and that was my, my experience with back, my back injuries. I'd have, I've had seven of them as I wow. joined back injury since 1998, and it forced me to look at my core. Because, you know, the back, the back is one thing, but if, if your core is weak, the, the back is going to follow. And Mm. that was the source of it. And I started looking into uh, ways to improve posture. And even when I, you know, would sit, and once I learned this, this really helped when I would sit on a, on a bar stool, you know, most people hunch over on a bar stool. I I know that. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm hunched. Yeah. But that's that's the thing. Over time, that's what I was doing to my discs. And I'm like, it's not the one thing that, injures you it's not the one activity it's cumulative it's a series of incorrect movements and posture issues that create sort of that problem for you and then it's then it's the straw that breaks the camel's back you do one thing and bam you know the back tends to be that a lot of that is cumulative you're you're bending over to pick up your child and and you know the back is doing this and you're bowing you're not bracing. Those those types of things matter, but you're not thinking about it. You know, you're not thinking about what your back is doing when you're brushing your teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, but if if you're bracing and not bending over and not putting the front of your torso there, you don't know what you're doing to it until it finally, <laughs> until that injury finally hits. So yeah, it's a thing doing That's that. A point. Yeah, yeah. And so a guy, couple. I, did, yeah, no, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I don't want. No, I don't want to cut you off. You're still going. Yeah, no, I was just going to say there's a lot of people in the in the uh, at least in the powerlifting industry that were instrumental in helping um, and helping me solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then going to uh, Pilates was a big, you know, uh, that was a great solution because it finally got me to realize what my problem was. I had a elevated hip and uh, exterior pelvic tilt and 
you know, it was my, my back was taking the brunt of everything and, and all my squat positions were all incorrect. So I finally fixed all that and it made a difference. And I realized that those were small tweaks that I mm. should have made long ago. You know, that now I say, I wish I would have known sooner. I probably wouldn't have had so many injuries, you know. And, and it was Pilates that, that helped you with that. Yeah. Believe wow. it or not, it was Pilates and a, and a guy, a book I read from a guy. Um, I'll try to figure out uh, his, his name is one of those real simple names like Dr. Smith or something like that. But he was mm-hmm. he, he had trained uh, powerlifters to come back from back injuries uh, and break even break old records that they had before. So he, he was able to get them back to a place where they would you know, come back and bust those old personal records that they had previously had. So uh, just the education on it was really what helped me. And then when I would inherit clients that had back injuries, I would, you know, guide them along with his book and recommend the book and, and recommend Pilates and do anything you can mm-hmm. to, to your core health. Cause oof, I know what that's like to, to, you know, suffer for, for that long, <laughs> you know, from, from yeah. 18 years old all the way to now. So. No, for sure. And I mean, that kind of leads, leads into my next question in a way. So something that's really been, been driving me with, you know, changing the show, focusing more on health, focusing more on really personal accountability about taking care of your, um, the, the body that we have here, you know, that's, that's really, really an expression of, our freedom of, you know, we have our our sovereign bodies taking care of them, controlling um, and being aware of what we're putting into them and uh, you know, what we're able to use our bodies for and really being, being grateful for, uh, for being able to use our bodies. Do do you see really, do you see a link between really having the sovereign control of our bodies and, you know, libertarianism, you know, yeah, when you when you kind of when you kind of look at it in a way where these corporations and government have created this atmosphere where there's all this junk food out there, mm-hmm. and you know it's I, I almost look at it like it's a it's a libertarian principle that we should be looking at this and you know taking it's kind of like looking through the propaganda and uh, and yeah. break down to to figure out the the right way to eat that that works for us. What, what are your thoughts on on that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's why I naturally, you know, merged the two as sort of my, you know, my idea of where I was going to go with this. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew um, that a lot of the people that I would be helping would be, you know, liberty minded people and they would be of the same mindset. So there wasn't that barrier already of, you know, somebody that was coming to me and saying, well, you know. I did this, I did that to my body and that's what the government tells me to do to it. So that's what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do the shot. I'm going to do all the, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. I think for, for me, what I realized was the relationship was very important from how, you know, people grew up. If they were told, Hey, just eat anything, but eat it in moderation. Great. You know, my problem was I came from a Greek family that said, finish your plate <laughs> you know? and your so, next plate and your next yeah, plate. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I didn't stop feeding me and, and she kept putting more, more and more food on my plate. And that's it. Uh, you know, and, and I think it sticks with you so that there, there's that sovereignty there that matters. And, and mm-hmm. had I looked at those things then and understood those things a little bit more, I think I would have probably gotten a better head start on my own health too. And figured out, hey, you know, this doesn't feel right. I feel full. I feel bad. I can't move. So there's something, there's something terribly wrong here. And then, you know, we weren't as kids. We we didn't have the education either. So, what was I doing when I was in a pinch and needed to eat? I would find the fast food restaurant, and mm-hmm. you know, and I wasn't noticing what it was doing to my body at the time. You're not thinking about that when you're 18 years old and you're practicing two a days for football. You're just needing to get calories in. Well, what what do you think that was doing to my hydration? I mean, <laughs> you know, eating right. heavily salted McDonald's and heavily salted Roy Rogers and heavily salted yeah. Burger King. And there's no there's no telling. So I'm what I'm most proud of is the fact that now libertarians have the education and they stick to it. You know, they, they're they're 
absorbers of this information and they can then help their kids. You know, mm -hmm. they can pass that knowledge along to them to say, these are maybe the mistakes I made early on because we didn't have the education. And now that we do, how can we help the next generation not make the same mistakes we did and understand what really is considered quality food and what we're not getting today, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, I mean, honestly, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show because, you know, nothing against those who are, you know, trying to make changes through politics and running political campaigns and messaging. I, I do think there's there's a time and a place for that. And I think there's, you know, people do bring people to liberty that way. But yeah. when you can um, help someone to really... Uh, take control of their own life, their own health, their own physical activity, and own it, and then be able to teach others to do it. I mean, that's that's what it's all about to me. Um, so I, I, I thank you for, for doing what you do. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think that independence is important. I think knowing that ahead of time and being able to make our own decisions is the key to this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's better for the health of an entire, you know, not just region, but nation and if we want to call it, even call it that, even though it's in, <laughs> there are imaginary lines, but there's still an area yeah. of people in a, in a huge, uh, you know, population that is suffering now. And still that, you know, ob those obesity numbers were scary. And when I, mm -hmm. you know, presented them at, at Freedom Fest, people were shocked. I said, well, this is, in, this is common. I mean, we all, we, we, we can look outside, walk outside our house and see it. But if, you see the number and it shocks you enough and you wonder, wow, you know, this is, this is something that is, you know, between those two, uh, those two factors, I think, you know, for me, it was solving mental health and solving obesity. And those are big things. It's a tall order, <laughs> but when those two things are focused on most, I think I can make a better impact that way, at least in my eyes, mm -hmm. than I could, you know, going down any activism path or, you know, without what other liberty people have done, the activism path, that was, I fig figured I would have made a better impact doing this than I would ever do, you know, in any type of political stage or any type of, you know, activism. So. For sure. So we're almost out of time here, but I want to give you, give you the time here to plug away, tell people, you know, where they can find Project Sparty, where they can find your social media, where they can find any, anything else that you have. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on Facebook uh, as Greg Papanicholas and on Instagram as Project Sparta. Uh, and uh, the website is projectspartacoaching.com. Uh, and they can get in contact with me with any, any one of those places. Um, and what I'm doing right now is I'm uh, designing sort of the uh, membership site more for people that may not necessarily, you know, want the full program or that, but they're still wanting to lose weight, get healthy, have, you know, recipes, uh, mm -hmm. tips every week. It's kind of like building that sort of, uh, base for some of the people that I want to help more, um, just to help a wider range of people, help a bigger population. Uh, so I'm working on that and, um, also working on eventually courses, uh, down the road for just helping people you know, that may not want to go that route either. And they like the education sitting down and learning about, uh, nutrition mm -hmm. and, metabolism and how to train properly and all that. So uh, that's going to be in the works too soon. Well, that is awesome. Greg Papanicholas, thanks for coming on the show, man. Appreciate your time. John, thanks so much. Appreciate it. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Greg Papanicholas. You know, I'm glad that we got to talk a little bit about the importance of as someone who believes in freedom, believes in liberty, believes in uh, you know having um, sovereign control of our bodies, uh, I'm glad we got to talk a little bit about. It. I'm glad I got to get Greg's opinion on that because I think that is a missing piece for a lot of libertarians. They're always saying, you know, yes, the government, you know, shouldn't be able to control what we can and cannot put into our bodies. Yes, that's true, but so many really unknowingly don't have control. Um, they're not aware of what they're putting into their bodies. They're putting in junk. They're putting in artificial sweeteners. They're putting in seed oils. They're putting in high fructose corn syrup. They're putting this highly palatable food that uh, is just destructive 
uh, for their body and makes living a uh, a healthy, prosperous life and a free life really, really, really difficult. So this is a focus of my show going forward. Really, gre- really glad to see that Greg and I really aligned um, on that focus. And as I told Greg after the show when we were talking. There were a lot of different questions and directions I wanted to go in, and we just ran out of time. I didn't want to like try to insert them in because uh, what we were talking about I thought was so great. So definitely we'll have Greg back on the show. I'm looking forward to that. And hopefully you're enjoying this new direction of the show. And uh, we're going to continue to talk about health and wellness, going to continue to talk about entrepreneurship, going to continue to talk about ways to free yourself up, to, uh, to make your life more flexible so you can have more control over the way that you live your life. And I'm going to continue to have on stories and talk to people who have overcome tremendous obstacles to find freedom. That's never going to go away. That will always be a part of finding freedom. So, you know, it's kind of uh, kind of sad to be signing off here for the last time with Mark <clears throat> as a member of Lions of Liberty Um, His last show is on Monday, episode 600. It's a roundtable show, a libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor. And I have to say this because it's it's the truth. This show, Finding Freedom, and my last show, Felony Friday, would not exist without Mark Clare, without his uh, really encouraging me to start this podcast, without him bringing me on his show, his podcast, the original podcast. Flagship, Lions of Liberty with Mark Clare, before I ever started Felony Friday, which became Finding Freedom. Um, if he hadn't done that, I never would have had the drive to uh, to do this myself, I don't think. So thank you, Mark. Wish you the best of luck um, with everything going forward. And please support Mark in what he's doing and support us at Lions of Liberty. With that being said, guys, this is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire's liberty burning.